Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Wayne, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. For the audience out there that might not know who you are, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. First off, Rob, thank you very much for having me back. Uh, it's been a, a while. I believe it was about a year and a half ago or or so like that. So, And I've watched the growth of your uh, podcast. So thank you very much for uh, allowing me to come back on. Um, my name is Wayne Rohde. I'm the author of two books on the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program here in the United States. And I'm working on a third book. It'll take me a while, but it's about vaccine injury compensation programs or schemes from countries around the world and uh, trying to take notes, comparisons, how other countries are compensating um, their citizens um, who have been injured by a vaccine, most notably the COVID vaccine for a lot of countries here in the United States, we have compensation program for um, even the traditional vaccines. Now, I'm also the father of uh, twin boys, Nicholas and Austin, and Nicholas was vaccine injured at the age of 13 months by the MMR vaccine, which kind of set me on this path. Um, and it, you know, that's where I began the journey, my wife and I, and uh, it's brought us up to where we are now, um, 25 years later. How difficult is it for you, I mean, from your perspective, to be able to talk about vaccine injuries and people might label you a certain way? Like I try talking about it a little bit and there are real things. I think it's it would be insane to say that not every single person is fit for a certain vaccine, they can have an adverse effect. I mean, water, if you drink too much of it, can kill you. So it's like there's not 100% good in everything. But if you say even talk about like, hey, I experienced this after I got it or I did this. And a year ago, a year half ago, a year and a half ago when we talked, you couldn't look up vaccine side effects as it relates to COVID-19. Now, if you look it up, they tell you there's a bunch of side effects, but it's necessarily their minor stuff. I don't think they talk about the serious ones or they've admitted to the serious ones, but it's real. And it gets you labeled as an anti-vaxxer if you say that. And it's not really the purpose of saying that. What you're saying is, is that we should have all the information available to us to understand before we put something in our bodies. Correct. That's not a conspiracy angle at all. Well, it goes back to, I have twin boys. Why did Nicholas get severely uh, afflicted or have a, a severe reaction and his brother did not? And that's, that's been perplexing to me. Um, why do certain people, are they susceptible to uh, uh, serious adverse events um, and others are not? Um, is there genetics that play a part of that or is there a medical condition, uh, of a current medical condition um, of that person? One of the, uh, the biggest problems that we face uh, or disappointments, I should say, that we've had is our country does not want to, our public health officials, they don't really want to understand what causes a severe reaction. If they did, they would be conducting medical outcome studies. You know, we have prime examples of those who have been uh, compensated inside the MVICP, which is the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. They would take a look at those 
whether it is a child with MMR, uh, hepatitis B vaccine, uh, an adult with flu vaccines causing Guillain-Barre um, or severe shoulder injuries, um, things like this, they could have studied and 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 kind of come up with something there that says there's a higher risk of that. It took us lawsuits it, 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 and some legal proceedings to figure out that when Gardasil was added back in 2007, um, it was damaging uh, at the beginning uh, teenage girls. And it was is that there was a, an actual lawsuit by Judicial Watch um, against FDA and also sued Merck and found out from Merck from discovery information that uh, girls who are on certain types of antidepressants, girls that use certain types of acne medicines, have a higher risk of severe injury than those who don't. But it took a legal proceeding. The FDA knew about this and just didn't release it. Merck obviously knew about this and didn't disclose it in their labeling, their product labeling and uh, on the um, the package insert on the vial. So you have that. And for the last, you know, up till pre-COVID, I should say, it's been interesting is, is that many of us have been labeled as anti-vaxxers, yet we were the ones that were vaccinating our children until we had an injury. And then we said, wait a minute, what's going on here? So people were using it as a, a very derogatory term, you know, much like uh, terms used to describe certain types of ethnic uh, populations, um, you know, slurs. And it was, it's, it's something, you know, okay, tinfoil wearing parent, you know, hats, you know, crazy parents. Okay, we've gone through 20 years of that. And it was, it was interesting is, is that uh, a couple years ago, there was a movie called um, Anecdotals that came out. And there's a wonderful lady, um, her name is Jennifer Sharp, the director and producer of that movie. And she came into town, I was, and we were talking and one of the first questions she asked was, has COVID changed the point of view of, of people? And are you uh, been validated or uh, of your thoughts about vaccine injury? And I said, you know, COVID has is, is done something that none of us really wanted to happen. And that's the vaccine has increased the population or community, if you will, by 10,000, 10, fold of vaccine injury. But it was generally, you know, the children were vaccine injured. Now it's adults. Um, and they're becoming aware of that vaccine injury. So now you have a larger community. But uh, sadly, it, it took uh, um, a COVID vaccine 
to kind of validate what our statements have been for the last 20 plus years. And that is, is that vaccine injury does happen. It's more prevalent than we are being told it is. Everybody say, oh, it's so extremely rare, extremely rare. No, it's very real. It's not rare anymore. And once again, our government, our public health officials refused and declined to study who is being injured and why. As you talked about, maybe individually, you know, um, there is certain reasons why some people are severely injured. There is, they have uh, certain medical conditions. But when COVID vaccine was developed, we we were yelling at, you know, um, don't take this, don't take this because it has not been tested properly. We know the clinical trials process, the steps. There's reasons why a vaccine does, it takes seven to 10 years before a new one before it is released to the population. And that is to tease out long-term health uh, outcomes, fertility issues, uh, chronic uh, autoimmune disorders. And this is what we're having this we're seeing right now with COVID, the COVID vaccine injuries is is that this what we know now, I believe, is just the beginning. Over the next three to five years, you're going to see a lot more, uh, more uh, prevalence of uh, certain medical conditions. And the crazy thing here is, is that the people who have certain medical conditions now from the COVID vaccines, their injuries are changing. They're morphing. Whereas before, with a traditional vaccine, if you developed a seizure disorder, okay, you have a seizure disorder. Now, if you develop some type of an autoimmune disorder, it might be changing, might get uh, more severe six months from now, or it also leads to something else. So these people here uh, who have been injured, these lot, most of them are adults, are having great difficulty determining what their medical conditions are, the doctors, and a treatment plan to help them recover or to improve. Um, so we just don't know a lot of things that have happened here. And I wish people would quit, you know, uh, this back and forth, oh, the virus is not real or um, injuries are very rare. No, those are talking points. They're just marketing, you know, 101 Madison Avenue stuff. What we know is, is that people are being injured and they will continue to be injured. There was a reason why we didn't vaccinate pregnant mothers with traditional vaccines. Then we started um, probably about eight years ago. Okay, let's start thinking about it and we started vaccinating with a tdap booster and flu shot to pregnant mothers without any regard to what happens to that unborn child that child that's being exposed in utero 
what's happening here. And then we, and then all of a sudden we started seeing a lot of miscarriages and everything in the first trimester. We're doing the same thing with COVID. There was no studies, no testing, no clinical trials, nothing on COVID vaccines for pregnant mothers. And yet it was released, oh, this is safe for the, uh, for the pregnant mother. It's insane what we're doing. But what's, that's... What's, can I ask what the range is when it comes to minor side effects from the COVID-19 vaccine compared to the major side effects that you might have come across when it comes to... Because it's hard for the public to be able to find out this information. Even when I search it up, there's not a whole lot of articles. Now, that is a product of Big Pharma because they do influence medical journals and medical conferences. If you're selling a product, you're not going to look at all the things that would be a problem with your product doing good on the market. That's not a conspiracy. That's just fact. That's real. I think everyone can agree with that. But for some reason, whether it's the programming or the brainwashing or the media manipulation of however it was pitched, it made people go not with the COVID vaccine. And we're now seeing it all start to really come out. YouTube has even changed their guidelines where you couldn't mention a COVID vaccine injury before. Now you can, but only if it affects you. I watched that change, but I mean, there's a bunch of things with their medical policy that really don't make sense. But I'm I'm curious, what are some of the minor side effects? And then what are the major ones? Just so people out there like myself could be aware of people that are experiencing some things, whether people are in a wheelchair for the rest of their life, whether they have mobility issues, whether they have cognition issues. A lot of people I know still can't smell. And they said it happened after they got the vaccine, which doesn't make sense. Well, there's so many, it's a pioneer, if you will, not in a good way. Um, uh, the more common severe injuries are, you know, myocarditis and pericarditis, which is um, heart-related inflammation of the of the heart muscle or the uh, interior chambers and, and, and arteries and things like this. You have blood clotting. Um, which is another um, very prevalent injury, um, which can lead to hemorrhages, can lead to strokes, can lead to heart attacks. That's, you know, and you see that with, a, and, and, and people just don't un, or want to accept the fact that uh, many, many professional athletes that are in the prime health medical or their bodies are just, um, we're, we're very uh, attuned to being in the best condition. Now are suddenly dying or they're falling over. You see that on uh, a soccer um, and other um, sporting events, things like this. We have a lot of that. Uh, minor conditions can be anything from just soreness to, um, you know, uh, some people call this long COVID. Um, I think long COVID is is an interesting concept, and there's medical doctors that have taught you that have been on your program that can speak more eloquently about it. But to me, both the virus and the vaccine have caused long COVID, whereas that you have this lethargic, um, you know, brain fog type conditions. Just people just don't have the normal pep to get up and go, and they're having difficulty just getting out of bed daily. 
and that could be, you know, they could have everything. Also, it could have uh, loss of taste or sound, uh, ability to hear properly. Those things um, have been documented, but also, you know, not only from the vaccine, but also side effects from the virus. That's that's a given. But I think where we have to is is that public health officials misled us. And I'm talking from the top. Um, and when COVID vaccines were released, they did not have a product insert showing all the different medical conditions. And it took some legal pr uh, proceedings to sue to get Pfizer data released, get, get Moderna data released. So the question is, why were they hiding it? You know, the FDA was sued to get the Pfizer data. And they said, well, we're going to need, what, 75 years and whatever, you know, uh, the costs are to do that. Yet that same data, they only took 108 days to approve Pfizer's vaccine. So if it took them 108 days to prove it, and they want to not release it for 75 years, this is worse than the Kennedy assassination uh, papers. And so why is that happening? Why is our government so in tune with pharma to roll out a vaccine that I believe they both knew at the time it was not effective? Yet we have we were told a lie that oh it's going to be you know the efficacy rate of 90, 95 percent, and if you get the vaccine, uh, you will not get COVID. Uh, we will stop transmission, uh, prevent uh, uh, infection. And then that narrative quickly changed to, well, if you get the vaccines, you're gonna you'll prevent. Severe, uh, severe infection and hospitalization. Now we're finding out that those who have been vaccinated have higher rates of hospitalization, higher rates of uh, severity of infection. And about uh, it's going to be almost two years, a year and a half ago, I was talking and interviewing Gert Vandebosch, and. Um, he made a statement that I, kind of caught me by surprise, but it's basically, um, it holds true. And he says what he feared was going to happen is has happened. That is, those who have been vaccinated, especially with the original COVID strain, the what they call the Wuhan strain, and then have been boosted, will become magnets for future variants. The other part is, is that you can never vaccinate during an outbreak. Because once you do that, the virus becomes uh, uh, less uh, stable and will change itself. And therefore, we got all these variants circulating. Now, that's a tough concept to handle for public health because are they just going to sit by the sidelines and just let the virus circulate the population and 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 then take their chances on who survives so i understand that they were in a uh, an un it was a difficult situation for them 
But for them to constantly lie to people and say this is uh, safe and effective and then vaccinate during an outbreak is just ridiculous. So you had CDC officials, government HHS officials, even the president and and both administrations, the Trump and Biden administrations are guilty of this. And they're saying that this vaccine will stop and will prevent COVID. And actually it didn't. It actually created and made it much worse than it should have been. And that's where we're having trouble. At the same time, our media, our legacy media, mainstream media, took it and ran with it. I think people will remember the death counts on CNN every day. It was totally ridiculous. And we're finding out now that many of those, or a lot of those, and probably a majority of those, are were not actually COVID. It was flu and pneumonia and, and things like this. And then you have public health destroying, as you've had previous guests on, talking about uh, very effective treatments outside of the uh, vaccine that could have been used and saved a lot of lives. But they can be used because that would, uh, the emergency use authorization statute says that they can only be uh, the vaccine can be EUA only if there's no other option. So they had to destroy the narrative of of uh, um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and everything else. And then anybody that uh, talked about those protocols, your Dr. Peter McCullough's and your Dr. Pierre, you know Pierre Corey's and and etc. Um, those reputations were then sought out and destroyed. And this is not the first time we've done this against government officials. I mean, government wishes. It goes back many, many years, several decades, when you have messengers that are saying, no, wait a minute, this is what's actually happening. Then you have government and media. You know, one of the first examples of this that I, you know, are in the recent history of the United States goes back to what happened in the early 80s when uh, cocaine and then crack cocaine. And then you had a journalist named Gary Webb that um, talked about, wait a minute, we're United States is, is basically their agency, the CIA, involved in uh, drug sales, and then eventually led to the arms uh, um, arms sales with Iran. But they used our government used uh, media, Washington Post and L.A. Times, and and then ever and then all the, t- uh, the cable talk shows to destroy the work of this one journalist. So this happens all the time. Do you believe it's just a profit motive, though, or do you believe that, like, ego, there has to be ego or something that plays in a factor. So many people in these institutions, these pillars of health that we're supposed to hold accountable and supposed to hold true as names we can trust that are just lying, not only for profit, but it has to be ego, doubling down on things that we've learned in the past three years that has changed 
And I think a lot more people are hesitant now. And I've seen a lot more friends that would have told you to get the shot two years ago that will tell you, I think it was the COVID thing that got them, or I think that's why I'm sick. You know, it's kind of flipped a little bit, which is nice because we're kind of feel a little bit validated, but it was just kind of letting people be aware of the probably most accurate information, which is that these things probably do have side effects and it probably does affect people. And we silence those people. Well, one is, is that you have the actions of a government. And one they're that these government agencies are moving forward and they really don't care about the individual person. Public health officials, and I'm talking HHS, HRSA, CDC, FDA, NIH, that whole corrupt agency, all under housed under HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, is probably the largest agent federal agency we have um and you have many components of that and you have all these public health officials um within that and they they create these kingdoms that are almost independent countries if you will um and it doesn't matter who's in the white house you have so you have that but also pharma pharma uh controls and as a lot of other people have talked about, they've captured our federal government. Congress is controlled by pharma. Saw that in 2005 on the passage of the PREP Act, uh, completely written by industry. 2010, the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program is passed by Congress to address the the injuries for the H1N1 swine flu of 2009 and 2010. That was completely written by industry. Okay, so you have that. You've had uh, the lack of uh, congressional oversight. This PREP Act and the actions by the Secretary of HHS is so dangerous to any type of uh, democratic republic, democracy, our government, and it was interesting, is that in February of 2020, prior to the big lockdown, there were several of us that were preaching, or uh, we were talking about the dangers of this PREP Act. I started looking at this thing back in 2014, 10 years ago, the dangers of what's happening. And sure enough, because you Congress has no oversight. Courts have no influence. It's all Secretary of HHS and the president. You know, think about it. Congress cannot do a thing about it. U.S. Supreme Court cannot do anything about this. And the Secretary of HHS can totally manipulate how we deal with not only COVID, how we deal with any other uh, epidemic or pandemic situation. And it begins to where we have uh, tyranny to the point where the public is is not informed. We can't make up our own. Uh, we can't make decisions based on we just don't have information to decide whether or not I should do or follow these directions. Yes, it is profit uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. 
but it's also there is egos uh, in public health. These people, those, they don't care about the, the citizens because if they can do something and uh, kind of say, okay, we're going to worry about the 60% or so, 70%, and the rest of the people, we can let them suffer. That's what's happening. And that's the shame. That's not what we should be doing. We need to address that. But to address that, we have to, we will expose how we got there. And that's a problem for have our you, government. Have you noticed independent yes. media picking it up and doing more of the legwork than what the letter companies or the main networks that we see on television do when it really comes? You mentioned Judicial Watch. But there's a few sites I've seen now that have really kind of looked into the statistics and looked into the numbers and actually written articles about the COVID vaccine adverse effects, which I didn't see a year and a half ago. It was very, very hard to find, but I'm seeing a lot more people be open about speaking about it, writing about it, um, acknowledging it more. Maybe it's RFK Jr.'s influence since he's a big advocate in that area. But there's a lot more articles I can see now through Google um, that'll show me there's this, there's this. I just did a whole episode on the pharmaceutical industry funding areas of research like medical journals and stuff. And there's plenty of people that have written about that, but they don't express the words COVID. They just express the companies with the largest scandals, which we somehow trusted, like Pfizer. Um, and their value, multiple different lawsuits that they've had to pay out over, I think, 2013 and 2014, and there's 2017 and 2021, over drugs that gave people suicidal tendencies or a drug that was supposed to get you to quit smoking, which actually might have caused cancer in some people, which is, you know, we put our trust in these institutions and our media said that, yeah, these institutions are good. There's nothing wrong with them. So I'm curious, the independent media, how much do you rely on them? I mean, have you seen a shift in their outreach when it comes to exposing some articles you might not see on the mainstream? Uh, your show, my program, this is what the fourth estate, what we're doing. Okay. Is just, we're exposing what we know, and it's because of mainstream media's basically in concert with whatever our federal government tells them to do. It wasn't too long ago that you know uh, it was it was an interesting if if you take get outside of COVID and look at another example, and I'm a student of history. During the buildup to the Iraqi invasion, of course, you had uh, what was happening over in Great Britain. Catherine Gunn, who used to work for the British secret um, British intelligence services, exposed fraud. What was happening with uh, with her government? And there was a two reporters with Knight Ritter that were writing stories about what was happening with uh, the invasion of Iraq and the buildup. But yet all the other mainstream media, New York Times, you know, and, and LA Times and Chicago Tribune, everything, they were just uh, writing stories of what was being fed to them by our, uh, by our federal government. Um, but we found out later that they were all wrong, and these two reporters from Knight Ritter uh, were correct. This is that our government lied to the American people about uh, 
the buildup of Iraq, uh, the Iraqi war and, and, you know, weapons of mass destruction and all this other stuff. Um, so you, you have that. But it, now the focus is uh, is taking so many people have, uh, have decided enough is enough. You have your podcast. I have my podcast. We've now seen a lot of these other um new media types brownstone institute i mean all of them are popping up the daily cloud now so what uh what has happened is is there's been a pushback by uh mainstream media and by our government saying all these are nothing but you know conspiracy theorists well all the a lot of these conspiracy theories about covid have, have come true um but so People are starting to gradually pick this up and read about it. And they're becoming educated about it and they're questioning. Uh, problem I have with our current generation of people is, is that the lack of critical thinking skills. People don't question anything anymore. We should, uh, when I was in college many years ago, I had a professor. Um, who had a bumper sticker on his car and on his uh, office door that said question authority. That stuck with me. And he was kind of a crazy coot, but he just said, you know, question, always question authority. People don't do that. And they should. They tend to trust experts. And this is where we got into big problems, even before COVID. Because it's real easy for uh, a journalist at MSNBC to say, well, experts say this. Well, what experts are they? And then the journalists are, are, are failing to do their jobs. I believe they're nothing more than stenographers and cheerleaders for whatever our government says or whatever pharma, uh, pharma says, you know, or industry says, because a lot of their incomes are based on ad revenue and then of course as you know that you know a lot of the ad revenue is generated but from from our from pharma so ma mainstream media's failed to do their job fourth estates take come on and and the fifth estate or whatever you want to call it is now coming out and we must continue to do our work. You must continue to do your program and continue to do it. So, because even if we only inform 10 people, that's 10 people, then they can then inform more. That's how you start this thing with a, with a small number and then it becomes a groundswell. Because I used to, people used to just dig into newspapers and read. They don't do that anymore. I love a newspaper. I love to get my hands on it, but I'll read several of them because you got to get, they all have their bias and their flair. And so you try to read the stories here in Minnesota, where I live, they are very biased on certain uh, ways here. And, but I still want to read certain stories, um, but they fa they're failing. Mainstream media is failing, and it won't be too long from now that people are going to, um, 
you know, they're going to understand that, wait a minute, what I've been being told by my local TV news or national news is just garbage. Um, you know, so I think you've got to keep doing your job. Well, have you talked to anyone with an opposition to your point of view on things? Have you been able to sit down and I've tried my best to be able to have conversations with everyone from all varying perspectives. I mean, when you were on, I had your point on the vaccines and then another vaccine lawyer who was basically saying mandates aren't, aren't against your freedoms. So I try to create that balance, but I'm with your show and everything. I mean, do you find that you get more opposition from people? You get more support? Have you tried talking to the opposition? For some reason, some of these people, even though they're running off of like, I know people that still wipe down surfaces and I know people that wear two masks. And I'm like, did you turn off the TV when they said that, that you don't need to do that anymore? It doesn't work or it doesn't do that. And I was in support of certain COVID precautions, but I wasn't in support of it being forced on people, especially vaccines where people were losing their jobs. That's ridiculous to put someone up on a gamble like that. So I'm curious from your show and your perspective, if you were able to talk to anyone with an oppositional view, just to sit down and look at some data that they might necessarily not be seeing. If they're open to the conversation, they should be able to look at data and decipher it for themselves. Well, if you look at someone off the street, a lot of people don't like to have their belief system challenged. Very true. <laughs> um, their opinion. And what's interesting is, is that um, social media back maybe 10, 15 years ago was able to bring people back together. Like, you know, my old fraternity, you know, um, 30, 35 years ago. And we were able to kind of get to reacquainted outside of the annual reunions or whoever attends those. But what's interesting is, is that you have your belief systems and, and whether or not this nation goes to war, uh, this nation believes in law enforcement, now you have this nation uh, understanding of COVID. And so you want to be, I approach it like if people want to talk about what their belief systems are, fine, let's talk about it. Um, but be able to support, a lot of people think their opinion is fact, and it's not. So I always like to question, please provide support for your opinion. I'm not going to criticize you as a person, but what is your opinion and why is it so? And that's where people have a difficult time. They want to believe. They're, leaving, they're, they're living in a, you know, not really a bubble, but they're wanting to believe a certain thing so they don't have stress in their life or they don't want to, you know, whatever it is. And they don't want their to be challenged. So you have that. And I was even personally affected by that because uh, back in uh, August of 2021, I was going back to, let's see, when was it? Yeah, yeah it was August of 2021. I was invited to speak at a conference in um, North Dakota, my own home state where I grew up as, as, as a child. 
when I was going to spend time with my mom and 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 see some other family friends and stuff like this, but I was prevented from doing so because I was not vaccinated. He says you you can't go home and and spend time with our mother because you're not vaccinated. I said fine, I'm going back, but I'll stay in a hotel, and I won't. I'll just call if that's the way it's going to be. But that's when I have a sibling. She's my sister who's in the uh, medical in uh, field, and she firmly believed in the vaccination, and she does today. Today, as of today, she still does. It's just they're ingrained with that. Now, so you have the people off the street who like this, but then you have officials, elected officials, public health officials, media personalities, whatever. They won't, they don't want to be challenged. So therefore, very difficult. I've reached out to many of them. I spoke on the phone to Paul Offit, emailed Dorit, Reese. We'll communicate that way. But once you challenge them, then they turn around and block you. They don't want to be challenged on a public uh, square, the town square, um, which is is a really incredible. They think they think that their knowledge is far superior. And I keep telling them, don't confuse your education with your uh, intelligence because that's what they're doing. They're confusing. I got all these fancy letters behind my name, so I must be extremely intelligent. And that's not, not the case because they've lacked common sense. They've lacked the ability to understand Um. And this is the way they want to be. I mean, it's a God complex that many of them have. Um, so it's just, it's, you try to reach out to them. Okay, done. Did that. They don't want to communicate. So now I go to the, basically to the people on the street, as you talk to yourself. And it's difficult at times, but I'm not going to back down. I can support my statements, my uh, my opinions. If I have an opinion, I'll say it as my opinion, you know, or, or like this. But we do know certain facts, and that's where I believe on. Now, I try not to get into the science of vaccines because that's not what my strength is. My strength is, is understanding the injury part of it the legalities of that, but I will do what I have. And, uh, you know, it's it's quite interesting is, is that I was just talking with uh, Ken McCarthy, the author of a couple books, Fauci's First Fraud, and then his uh, most recent book, and it's dynamic and very good to read, uh, is what the nurses saw. And this is where we're seeing with the COVID protocols that these hospitals... And here in Minnesota, there's a lawsuit now filed against um, a hospital for what the protocol that they did. And so when you have these articles out there on Twitter and Facebook and you make a comment, you can tell who are 
friends of the hospital. They're denying all this, you know, that pharmaceutical industry um, knew these issues. The hospitals are getting paid, you know, X number of dollars for uh, treating COVID patients versus regular patients. There is things there. The legislation allows, you know, Medicaid was giving 20% increase for those who had COVID versus non-COVID patients. But the hospitals don't want people to know that, but yet they were being paid. So it's it's a tough situation. I just, I'm not going to back down. I will encourage, I want to have a civil debate of from all sides. But if one side doesn't want to, I, you know, uh, I think they don't want to give, I think it's, um, a, what do they call it, equivalence, uh, moral equivalence to the other side's uh, discussion. So they don't want to appear on the same debate stage is what we, we're talking about. Intellectuals are the only people that can be wrong. As long as it sounds good, people still believe in them. Like the, the, at one point, they all were pushing eugenics at a point, you know, and then somehow we just completely gloss over that. As long as it sounds good, intellectuals, that, that word, they can really say anything if they can form it in a beautiful sentence. But I have to ask about the compensation program for people that are vaccine injured. When we talked about this a year and a half ago, there were zero payouts, and that was between your perspective and also the perspective of the other lawyer who was pushing mandates, even though he was supporting people who had vaccine injuries. But he said the compensation program sucked. I'm curious if in the, all this time, if it got if it's gotten better, if there has been any payouts, is it just the front to say that we'll have you covered as long as you get the shot and then leave you high and dry like – most of the programs in society today kind of do when it does end up biting you in the ass? Um, being Saying that the program sucks is being very polite about what it is. Um, there has been some payouts, and we're talking about the countermeasures injury compensation program, which deals with COVID countermeasures. Vaccines, drugs, medical devices, et cetera. Everything that's been uh, declared to help fight the, uh, the uh, COVID-19 vac um, virus, the COVID virus, SARS-CoV-2, um, that is covered. Uh, all injuries and death claims are filed in the countermeasures injury compensation program. Now, real quickly, this is a program that was established in 2010. And it awarded, you know, uh, a few uh, uh, petitions for uh, Guillain-Barret outcomes, medical outcomes from uh, the swine flu, the H1N1, that was rapidly, at warp speed, if you will, developed in 2009. Very similar to this COVID. Um, and so that was there. Now, the... Eight decisions that have been awarded so far as of December 1. Um, the January decisions data will not be released until mid-January. Um, the countermeasures doesn't pay for pain and suffering, where the other program does, up to $250,000 in pain and suffering. The countermeasures will pay 
for unreimbursed medical expenses, meaning whatever expenses that are not covered by your private insurance or other means. It does pay for lost wages capped at 50,000 a year. Okay. There is a death benefit, but the death benefit is tied to the public safety officer's benefits called the PSOB for federal law enforcement. And this year, uh, it's about 423,000 is the max payout on a death benefit. Um, so you have those. You only have one year to file. Otherwise, you have, you've exceeded your statute of limitations. So people who have been injured by a COVID countermeasure, they only have one year to file from the date of administration. Whereas the other program, the MVICP, you have three years to file for injury from when the first symptoms manifest themselves. Completely different. Most people don't know, and when they're in, severely injured from a COVID vaccine, it's going to take them a long time, one, to get to the point where they can file a petition, get their medical records, and file. A lot of people are being dismissed because they took longer than one year. Okay. Well, how Programs long do they keep you in waiting for like seven months? Well, you can file and then they just, you know, you got 12,000 petitions in the program right now waiting, pending some type of a decision process. A lot of them have been there since the beginning, you know, whenever uh, they were first injured, probably since, two, you know, 2021. Uh, I know of a couple people who filed uh, back in April of 2021. They're still pending. They don't know where they stand. So, you know, it's going to be, they're coming up on a three-year anniversary of them filing a petition. Uh, they're one of the first to be uh, vaccinated and got injuries. So you have that. But here's where it really becomes a horrible program. And this is that the payouts, most of them are myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle and interior valves. The only payouts that they receive are what medical insurance expenses that didn't cover. They don't get paid for anything else. So you have somebody uh, who has to live with a lifelong struggle of dealing with myocarditis for the rest of their lives and getting a check for $1,800 for expenses that their insurance company didn't pay for. How's that for a payout? It's a medical reimbursement program. As I've mentioned to congressional staff uh, and on to uh, many different interviews. We don't have a compensation program for COVID. We have a medical insurance reimbursement program for COVID. We've got eight cases reimbursed for medical expenses. Where you go back to other countries, excuse me, Canada is awarded compensation for severe injuries in Canadian dollars, people like that. United Kingdom has done the same thing. Taiwan, Singapore, Australia, Denmark, uh, other countries of the European Union have awarded compensation. Now, they're in their dollar systems, whatever their mon monetary systems are. 
So you can't compare, you know, Taiwan dollars to United States dollars as even up. But they're compensating for death. They're compensating for severe injury. United States, we're not doing that. We're only compensating for reimbursement of medical expenses. This is insane. And it's just it's 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 maddening that, that this is the way it is. We don't care. Now, I've done some FOIA activity and been able to get some information back. I believe that we we caught HRSA unprepared for COVID vaccine injury. That's a given. But they didn't even have a computer system set up. They were doing things manually through paper and manila folders and stuff like this. You imagine having 12,000 petitions and then they they finally start getting where you know you file online digitally people are uploading their medical records. They didn't even have staff until this past year where they were able to hire a few people internally. Federal contractors do most of the work. Okay? So they have the lack of training. They're the ones excuse me, that are communicating with the injured person. And then we have a few doctors on board in HRSA that are actually analyzing these petitions. Now, the other big thing is, is that in the MVICP, you have an attorney who's an experienced vaccine injury attorney who has access to medical experts that could testify on your behalf. Those costs and fees are paid for out of the Vaccine Injury Trust Fund. In the CICP for COVID, you don't have access to that. So you're on your own. There's no reimbursement for attorney fees or medical experts. If you want to, you can employ them yourselves. I don't know if a lot of people have $100,000 to $200,000 hanging around to help them do that. And you don't even have access to the courts. MVICP, you can appeal up to the Federal Court of Claims and then up to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, one step below the U.S. Supreme Court, and then finally to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, it's a four-layered judicial process. CICP is not. It's an administrative process. You get one appeal, and that appeal is back to the same damn department that denied you to begin with. So. This program is horrible, but yet other countries decided to take it and use it as a template. Canada did, but they're paying out things now. They're paying out injury claims. COVAX is the COVAX facility is the creature that was invented and created by Gavi and and um, WHO and UNICEF and all those. Um, non-elected government, uh, non-elected bureaucrats from around the world. And they created the COVAX facility, one, to purchase and distribute COVID vaccines, but also they created a vaccine injury compensation program for the 92 designated low-income countries that uh, could not afford the vaccine, but they had to sign away these countries, believe it or not, they signed away their sovereignty to this COVAX facility, this Frankenstein, if you will. And if you get free vaccines, you can't sue 
the manufacturer. You can't sue WHL. You can't sue Gavi. You can't sue the Bill Gates Foundation. The citizens can't sue and the nation can't sue. So they they get the free vaccines, but then this COVAX facility creates this compensation program, which they will not release any data on who's been paid, what type of injury that's been filed. I've tried to find the data. I've got friends at Reuters. They can't find it. I've got a friend at Washington Post. They can't find it. Cheryl Atkinson, CBS, a former CBS news reporter, they won't talk to her. So why are we hiding that? Well, now COVAX is shifting gears, and this is something I forecasted a year ago, and I was very concerned about it. If they can achieve this much success with these low-income countries for COVID vaccines, they're going to switch gears and, and become the distributor again for the traditional vaccines. And now what you've got is pharma and now has a global immunity system. Uh, for 92 countries in, at minimum and any other country that wants to receive uh, free vaccines. This is, this, is, this is an ugly mess and this is where our world is headed. Um, we don't want to compensate. We don't want people to know about it. And uh, here in the United States, it's it's worse than other countries. If you're injured in the United States, you're not. It's not going to happen. What would you recommend? Would be things that you would suggest to people to try and look for a more optimistic light. I mean, steps that we can move forward because I think everyone acknowledges big pharma's existence. We all joke about it. We all know the stereotype of it. But if you look at those statistics, I mean, it's like most members of Congress and most members on the House floor, Republican and Democrat, get some type of funding from pharmaceutical companies. 75% of advertisements on television are pharmaceutical companies. That's a large amount of statistics that like I'll post up a clip about people be like, is that real? I'm like, yeah, it's real. And I think we all are starting to kind of realize that it's entrenched in everything. But what would you recommend people to do when it comes to trying to find a way to get us on the track of not just questioning everything, but really kind of looking forward with more of a skeptical eye when it comes to the information that are these people in suits that call themselves intellectuals really want to just toss out there like trust the science with no science to back up the claim well i can here's what i do i'm just resisting i tell people don't stop watching cable news and you actually learn something if you stop watching cable news and um, um resisting this pressure i can't tell people to say hey don't vaccinate or whatever i'm just saying do your own research. Resist any coercion, any mandates. Let people make decisions. Parents need to be informed and properly informed because um, many of them have been misinformed um, by the powers that be. Um, it's going to take some time, but I believe we're winning. I think you're starting to see more and more elected officials. You have a lot of brave medical 
doctors and therapists that are speaking out, listen to them. For those who have been injured, there's many doctors that have very good success uh, recovery protocols. You've had them on your show. Um, for those who have been injured. Um, but once again, is is that, uh, you know, I guess people are just they're lazy. Um, they'll just say whatever, you know, whatever they hear is their, you know, well, that must be, you know, that's correct. And um, everything else is propaganda. Well, what you're listening to is propaganda. And you need to think about it. And uh, unfortunately, it's, there's going to be many more victims as we move forward. Um, you talked about eugenics. I still think that's live and well. I think there's a big, huge eugenics movement here in the United States to curtail population here, but also everywhere in the world. Um, whether it's the threat of the unvaccinated is what they called it. And actually, it's the other way around. It's the vaccinated or they're the ones that are in trouble. Um, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, they're saying, well, all these other diseases are going to come back. You know, my favorite when I hear people is, oh, polio is going to return. People don't understand what polio was about and how we actually conquered polio. Uh, smallpox is going to return. Well, actually, you know, less than what was it? Less than 20% of the population was uh, vaccinated with smallpox and it died out. Um, you know, things like this. And then we're finding out the oh, you know, we got to get everybody vaccinated for polio. Well, you don't transmit polio through the air. So it's not a transmissible disease by what we see in the air, like flu and, and other viruses. So a lot of people just don't understand what, you know, uh, they just, oh, let's believe the experts. The experts, I'll follow whatever the experts tell us. Well, if the experts tell you to walk off a cliff and jump in the lake, are you going to do that? That's what most people are doing. And it, sooner or later, it'll catch up with them. And just, for for me, resist. I'm just not accepting it. I understand it. I'm going to look at it, think things through properly. I'm going to understand my role and what I'm doing. And, you know, my children are grown, but they're still my children. So I'm going to, you know, do what I can to help them understand, you know, my other son, Austin, he's a grown adult. He can make his own decisions, but he understands what's happened. So. Wayne, I appreciate the time, man. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? If you have links to your books, Twitter uh, show as well, too. Yes. Um, the uh, books, the website is uh, the vaccinecourt.com. I have a sub stack that I write about, injury compensation and interviews that I've done. Um, that's out on Substack. So it's the vaccinecourt.substack.com. And then my podcast is right on point. Um, um, see, it's out on Rumble. So it's rumble.com slash C slash right on point. Um, like you, I've uh, had trouble with other online uh, systems, platforms, and they just like YouTube and everyone else, they, they just deleted all my uh, interviews. So I moved everything over to Rumble about a year and a half ago. 
I've had no no uh, no problems. So you can catch me out on Rumble, and uh, we talk about different topics. Um, but you know, it's all focused on um, personal. You know, your your rights. Uh, that trying to push back against the tyranny of our government. Um, things like this, and to inform people, they can make up their own decisions from there. Well, I'll link all your links in the description, Wayne. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again, my friend. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Battle of the Blanks. Stay tuned for our next episode.